Welcome to the Retail Focus Podcast, a weekly collection of news, interviews, and information from the world of retail. Welcome to this edition of the Retail Focus Podcast. I'm Trent Kling. Coming up on today's episode, we'll be joined by Tobias Buxhoit, the CEO and co-founder of Parcel Lab. He makes his second podcast appearance He'll be joining us to talk about the 2021 holiday shopping season. Beyond that, we're going to look a little bit at the communication process between retailers and their customers, as well as communication surrounding the returns process. So looking at the holiday shopping season with a communications bent today with Tobias. In news, we look at specialty retail with Party City, a retailer we haven't talked about for quite some time on the show. Madison Marquette releases their first ever holiday trends report. We'll talk about that at the end of the show, and we'll also look ahead to a merger between two Northeastern grocery chains. A reminder that you can check us out on social media at Retail Podcast, both Twitter and Instagram. And in fact, just this last week, pictures were posted of a Kmart store in Marshall, Michigan, the last Kmart in Michigan that is closing this month. Also on our Twitter feed, we posted a few articles that are germane to what we are discussing on the podcast this week. Also, the obligatory reminder, hey, if you like the show, go ahead, give us a rating. Regardless of your podcast listening service, those ratings do help others to find us and check us out. One Other note before we jump into news, we have an absolute who's who as far as interview guests lined up. Over the next few weeks, we'll be talking to representatives from ICSC and CBRE about the holiday season as it pertains to real estate and retail real estate and what some of the shopping centers are seeing with traffic. We'll also be joined into December to talk about retail banking and then Also, returns and return projections for Q1 of next year. Super excited. Got six or seven great interviews lined up over the next month and a half. So if you haven't yet, be sure hit that subscribe button as well to make sure all of those podcast episodes make their way into your listening app. Now, as I mentioned, it's been a while, but we circle back to discuss Party City's recent earnings. Now, just in terms of the numbers, analysts expected a fall from last year's earnings per share of $0.10 per share, only predicting $0.01 per share on the earnings front. Why was the drop expected? Well, again, we'll talk about the numbers a little bit. More importantly, we're looking at initiatives for Party City, and this earnings call came against the backdrop of the divestiture of many of their international holdings during the first quarter of this year. Not something we've talked about yet on the podcast and Party City, kind of a retailer that sometimes flies underneath the radar. So year-over-year top-line revenue for them was, of course, difficult to compare given that they did sell off many of their international holdings. Now, Party City, Holdco as it's known, is a diversified company, but in terms of their retail scope, they operate 754 locations. They also have temporary or pop-up stores such as Halloween City, something we saw just this last month, and something that we'll discuss also later on in the story. They have 76 franchise stores as well, though there has been a recent trend towards Party City kind of buying back some of those franchise locations. They did so six times 
in their third quarter. They've done so in double digits to this point during the fiscal year. So while we talked about not being able to compare that top line revenue year over year because of those international sales, their comp sales, especially in the U.S., could certainly be compared. And for stores still owned by Party City Hold Co., their comps were up 7.5% for this third quarter versus 2020's third quarter. So solid showing for them on the whole, especially given that they weren't a retailer that particularly suffered during the third quarter of last year. Comps for 2020, in fact, were up over 2019 for their third quarter. So they actually saw a bit of an increase, which for the third quarter of 2020 for a specialty retailer was kind of rare in aggregate. But in any case, on a two-year stack, you're looking at comps being up 14.2% over 2019, which is a substantial number for any retailer, but also specifically for specialty retailers. And that's a number that suggests a really consistent turnaround from the stumbles that the company was seeing in the late 2010s, particularly 2018, 2019, very up and down quarters for Party City as they kind of struggled to gain traction in their vertical integration model, specifically on the retail end of their vertical integration model. Now, as I just mentioned, A vertically integrated company, what does that mean? Well, they manufacture a lot of what they sell in stores. They also import directly a lot of what they sell in stores and sell that merchandise to third parties. So a decent amount of their revenue does come from sales of either manufactured or otherwise imported goods to third parties and other retailers out there. And they've used their manufacturing holdings with great effect to distribute to other retailers in the past. So the sales of part of their international operations did trim kind of their third-party wholesale sales because a lot of their international operations that they sold off did specialize in wholesale sales. So as a result, their wholesale sales were down 33.6%. But as we are wont to do on the show, when you look at just U.S. operations, Party City's wholesale sales to third parties are actually up 7.8%. So you have comps up about the same amount. That suggests strength in this particular category, the the party, the special occasion category, and so forth at other retailers, not just Party City. And just so you get an idea of the picture when we say Party City is vertically integrated, internally, 80.2% of their retail sales, so the sales that they conduct through their Party City stores in this past quarter, came from their own wholesale operations. And on the manufacturing front, they manufactured 28.2% of the merchandise they sold in stores this quarter. Other metrics, excluding the divestitures, were similarly positive for Party City. You saw gross profit margin up 270 basis points. It's now 36% of net sales. And their earnings, by the way, came in right around analyst estimates. Adjusted earnings per share actually beat analyst estimates by 50%. Well, really, that's just one cent per share because one cent was expected. They came in at two cents per share or $2.9 million overall. So a slim beat to be sure. But the company's overarching theme on the call was that they feel as though they're positioned to really kind of spring forward from this point. In the interest of fairness, though, we should point out that there were definite negatives surrounding Party City in terms of their call numbers. For one, interest expense was significantly higher. 
around 40% higher, in fact, after they refinanced their debt holdings earlier in the year. These refinances took a bit of a higher interest rate on, thus inflating that interest expense on their balance sheet. And for a business only showing $2.9 million in adjusted profit, that increase in interest cost of over $10 million does make quite an impact. And then there was an increase experienced on the operating expenses front. While they were lower on a pure dollar basis than 2021, as a percentage of sales because of that deleveraging, because of selling off some of those international operations, their figures, when adjusted for those divestitures, saw a 230 basis point increase. So basically what you had there is operating expenses didn't decrease in lockstep with the lost revenue from those divestitures. Now, in terms of some of the trends that they mentioned on the call, they said actually their sales to third parties were driven mostly by balloons, which is interesting because you think of certainly other retailers seeing success in this subcategory, Dollar Tree being one of them. For Party City, it's their anagram balloon division that saw all of this business. They saw record sales and profitability, which suggests effective adjustment to inflation because those raw material costs are going up. And not only with balloons, but in other categories as well. Management mentioned their ability to raise prices to keep up with materials costs with minimal customer pushback. So it gives you somewhat of an idea that they do have the ability to raise prices on other goods going forward if they need to do so to keep up with inflation. And certainly that's something we saw in their balloon division as well. Generally, across the board, in fact, despite the inflation that we're seeing, they were able to improve margins on products especially those that are vertically integrated. So either those that their wholesale holdings were providing to the party city stores or those that they manufacture. And this was partially a result of reduced carryover inventory for the third quarter, but mainly it's come actually as a result of decreased promotional activity. So we mentioned inflation with the raw materials cost. In this case, that's just being offset by not having quite as many promotions, not having quite as many sales. And the biggest thing for them is it doesn't seem to be hindering their traffic or their sales numbers. And we'll talk to why this might be here in a second. Now, all of this has taken place despite data that suggests that customers still very much value price over any other factor when selecting products, which again points to Party City benefiting from this overall macro trend that you're seeing across all of retail of fewer discounts, fewer sales less discounting on products, leading in turn to Party City's ability to stay competitive in their product categories versus the general merchandisers versus the dollar stores. So in this case, Party City, again, you talk about inflation, you talk about some of those raw materials costs going up, not quite as concerned as some other retailers simply because they are benefiting from rising costs across the board. So they're not falling behind those general merchandisers as far as their price points. Another thing they provided on the call, even though the call was just covering the period leading up to the end of September, they provided an update on Halloween sales. And this is something we've been very anxious to receive from retailers. This is one of the first updates we've gotten 
on Halloween sales in the entire retail industry. And keep in mind, they did have some of those pop-up shops, those Halloween City pop-up shops, but they have seasonal sales at Party City locations as well. Now, for October 2021, or the five-week period really for them ending November 6th, comps were up an impressive 16%. And they said that Halloween sales were definitely higher year over year, but the real driver for them was actually their core merchandise categories. They saw continued momentum carrying forward from the end of the third quarter into October. And on the call, they specified that the candy category, the favors, entertaining, and pinata categories all said to be stronger than average performers in October. And candy in particular benefited from a reset for their non-seasonal products. So they have seasonal candy like what you might see around Halloween. And then those non-seasonal products, those year-round celebration-themed products or just regular candy. And so candy here didn't just see a benefit as a category from improved Halloween sales in October. Their non-seasonal candy sales, in fact, for the month saw a 2,500 basis point improvement. And management noted a change in their marketing spend, saying they kind of went away from emphasizing Halloween, emphasizing seasonal, and they used media to address non-seasonal categories, such as, for example, birthday, which certainly paid off for the likes of favors, pinatas, and also candy. And as an aside, girls' and boys' birthday and favors were three other categories that have seen complete resets at Party City in 2021 to date. And it's apparently been a positive effect. Solid Tableware, by the way, was their other 2021 reset to date, although sales in that category haven't stood out quite as much. But the resets in these certain categories, so candy, birthday, favors, and so forth, those have introduced a thousand new SKUs to their rotation. And Party City has plans for more resets and SKU additions for the rest of their categories in 2022. Now, these resets these categories that are performing particularly well increased their overall retail revenue by 19.8% for October. Some of this coming from those comps being up 16%, some of this coming from more stores opening during October, and some of it coming because of renovations in existing Party City stores. And that is also something that we'll talk about here in just a moment, but Again, a key year-over-year driver in sales for them, not only the resets in categories, but the resets in certain store layouts as well. Now, as far as seasonal was concerned, going into the Halloween season, they were certainly more bullish with their temporary Halloween City stores this year, having opened 90 in 2021 versus just 25 last October. And the company noted that they had 15 net new Party City locations versus last year, kind of helping out those seasonal sales as well. Now, as a result of the improved October comps, they're now projecting comp increases for the fourth quarter as a whole to come in in the high teens. Their fourth quarter of 2020 did see a slight comp loss versus 2019, so kind of went the other way versus their third quarter. So to put things in perspective, they still project a low teens increase over 2019 on a comp basis, which would be, again, consistent with what we saw in the third quarter on a two-year stack. 
Now, I already mentioned that they're doing some renovations for stores. That was going to be my final note about the company. We talked about their store footprint in the intro, how many stores they have in the U.S., and they did give an update on this call on their next-gen store model. At the end of the quarter, they had 74 total next-gen stores. These are stores that have been renovated. These stores not only have a different layout, but emphasize the celebration and occasion-adjacent categories. Think non-seasonal things, once again, like birthday celebrations, things like weddings, anniversaries, and so forth. So about 10% of their stores have been switched over to this next-gen format. So far, these remodeled stores are providing around a mid-single-digit percentage sales spread, positively, that is, versus the original store layout. So they're seeing sales increase more than all the other stores are seeing that increase in their renovated stores. As a result, they are still focused on accelerating the rollout of their next-generation stores, 21 more planned for Q4, and then next year, looking into 2022, they plan for about 100 to 125 renovations of present stores. At the end of 2022, their benchmark is they want about a third of their stores remodeled. Right now, you're sitting at about 10%. And you look at the remodel payback here. It isn't as quick for Party City as it has been for other stores with ongoing remodels. So for Party City, it's been around 24 months. You look at other retailers, maybe outside the specialty retail segment, let's say Dollar Tree's renovations to combo stores or Dollar Tree Plus, those typically have a payback period of less than 12 months. But Party City thinks it's important to continue this initiative to support those category-specific resets we talked about and also their renewed company focus. Again, you're looking more towards events more towards celebrations that's showing up in the marketing material, and it's eventually going to show up in the brick-and-mortar footprint of all of their locations. The bottom line for Party City, though, and I think something to take away from this call and this earnings report overall, you can work to be less reliant as a company on a particular category. So in this case, Party City working to become less reliant on seasonal, but at the same time, maybe not neglect that category. As we saw in October, they came through with very positive seasonal sales. It's not, for retailers, a zero-sum game. And so often we hear about specialty retailers going away from something that might have been their bread and butter, something that was driving revenue, in favor of something else when they're going through times of maybe reimagining the company. Party City, again, has gone through ups and downs in the last two to three years, starting to pick up a lot of momentum. And they said in this circumstance, hey, we have to start stabilizing things, really focus on those events, those occasions that are going on. But we don't want to do that at the expense of seasonal. We saw this October, they were still very, very much top of mind for consumers when it came to seasonal, showed off in their numbers for October, certainly. And we saw benefits from their other maybe reimagined or refreshed categories. So I think that's the big takeaway here. If you're a specialty retailer, it's not a zero-sum game. You don't have to abandon one thing if you want to focus on another. You can focus on multiple things at once sometimes, especially in the eyes of the consumer. Well, that'll do it for our news segment here on this episode of the Retail Focus Podcast. 
Coming up after this break, we'll be joined by Tobias Buxhoit, the CEO and co-founder of Parcel Lab. We'll talk a little bit about what communication looks like between retailers and consumers here in the 2021 holiday season. take this time to talk to all the digital leaders out there. How would it feel to not only know what your customer is experiencing, but how many others across the board are experiencing this same thing? I think it's about time that retailers in general put customers at the center of their decisions, especially their decisions in the electronic commerce realm and get ahead with some real-time insights. You know, for retailers, Holiday season is already underway. We've talked about e-commerce sales, how they're expected to exceed last year's totals, and your business should be prepared to not only capture every customer revenue opportunity here in Q4, but those revenue opportunities coming up in Q1 as people start to spend those gift cards, which we have heard based on data is going to happen fairly quickly in Q1. And, you know, with Quantum Metric, you can be ready to capture these revenue opportunities. Their unique approach to the digital customer experience helps today's top retailers and e-commerce brands quickly identify and prioritize the big and small revenue opportunities that keep customers engaged and coming back. So if you want a sneak peek of their platform, you can visit them at quantummetric.com slash pod offer and see if you qualify to receive their 12 days of insights offer with the code retail focus it's all one word this offer gives you 12 day access to their platform coupled with a bespoke insight report that will help you identify where customers are struggling or engaging in your digital product restrictions do apply the link as always is in the show notes but again that's quantummetric.com slash pod offer use the code retail focus to see if you're eligible for the 12 days of insights offer we continue our look at the 2021 holiday shopping season by moving our attention to logistics now that we're coming up on the stretch run of holiday sales we can expect a lot of merchandise whizzing around on last mile delivery vehicles as customers hope to get that gift on time. And while we previewed the logistics systems themselves in a previous episode, today we're going to look at the retailer-customer relationship as it pertains to communication surrounding fulfillment, and also we'll take a look ahead to 2022 a bit. And for this look, we're pleased to be joined once again by Tobias Buxoit, the CEO and co-founder of Parcel Lab. Tobias, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Now, first, just so you can get our listeners back up to date, or if they didn't hear your previous appearance on the show, could you refresh us on what Parcel Lab does on the day-to-day and kind of the role you serve within the retail universe? Okay, sure. No problem. Yeah, so we're essentially helping brands to control their post-sales customer experience. So this means managing and, and really controlling all those customer touch points that are happening through the fulfillment, the delivery, the returns, or any other kind of post-sales process, and actually turning this into something that creates a lot of and very positive customer engagement. Yeah, so thinking about instead of just leaving this to maybe my, I don't know, partners out there, whether they run my warehouses, whether I utilize the carriers out there, whether I use some returns partners, 
how do I, as a brand, as a retailer, actually move in here and make sure whatever happens, that I'm still in control and making sure that my customers end up just super happy. And also, quite importantly, with the yeah, upcoming holiday season, how can I utilize this to actually stand out and really shine and differentiate myself as we still see there's this many, many new customers to be worn out there that haven't currently shopped online and yeah, are now looking to experience some great shopping. All right, so we've got that perspective. Let's turn our attention to that holiday season that you mentioned. We're already seeing an uptick in shopping by customers early, so said we're about a month into the holiday shopping season now, but we know retailers are a bit nervous about what those shelves or digital shelves will look like in December. As someone who works with a number of retailers and a number of fulfillment services, what are some things you feel retailers can do to kind of leverage their existing inventory, so to speak, to stretch out their resources a little bit as we come up on the last month of the quarter? Yeah, so this, this is an interesting situation. Yeah? It's a market situation that we didn't really have before. I think many consumers did have some kind of a bad experience last year. The first time we ran into this like crazy peak situation with the lockdowns and everything happening and just fulfillment capacity is reaching its limit. I think what we do see this year is that there's a lot more awareness around potential issues that will just multiply the closer we move into the peak season. And so for those retail brands, this is probably good and bad. Good in a way that since there's so much awareness, they can use it now to make sales happen now already. Yeah, So I don't have to wait until Black Friday, Cyber Monday, or maybe even closer to Christmas to actually have people buy something because they know it can get tricky. So we see a lot of volume actually increasing today already. And this is great because it just takes away the constraints that they have and the peak itself over those like couple of days. On the other end, it's probably challenging for them as well because the awareness and the skepticism around, is this going to work, right? Because I did have a bad experience last year, might also not really help converting customers and buying stuff. So those brands really have to make sure that in everything that they do, they take away that uncertainty and ensuring that customers are still willing to take the risk, if I can call it a risk, but to actually jeopardize maybe not getting something on time for this holiday season. So that's what we currently see in the market, brands really pushing as much sales as early as possible, because for them it's challenging because they don't even know if all the products they have ordered. So that's still on the inbound path. So maybe still in some container or harbor or still on the ship somewhere, if it's going to make it on time because supply chains are stretched so much, it's really hard to predict if those products will be then available to be sold on time or not. So you mentioned there the communication from the retailer to the consumer, in this case, maybe getting them to shop early. But another thing that retailers are no doubt experiencing is an uptick in consumer interaction going the other way, especially digitally. Consumers increasingly seeking kind of that instant back and forth with digital retailing formats. And I'm curious what consumer expectations are now in 2021 and maybe what retailers should be aiming for as far as making sure these interactions go above and beyond kind of the typical AI bots that are unsatisfactory, so to speak, that we've all interacted with. So I guess we all get more and more acquainted to being better informed and having full transparency about what's going on. Yeah, so I can just recall 
maybe like last night I ordered a pizza with Domino. And I don't know if you've experienced the Domino pizza tracker before, but it's just one example about like how I as a consumer nowadays just get more transparency into what's happening. Or we can also take, I don't know, Google Maps or you're looking into public transportation. There's so much data available now that is being used to make processes more transparent, to take away lots and lots of that uncertainty and also concerns maybe people have within that space. So what we have seen with those brands that we work with is that they are really doubling down on making sure that they manage those customer expectations appropriately. Especially with that last year, just coming back to that one. And also that's what our consumer study showed that we just conducted is that it was around one out of three customers yeah, that experienced an out-of-stock item. So when we asked them, what does it mean for you, is that one out of five customers actually said, well, they're either going to pay extra just to making sure that this is going to happen on time. Another about half of the people actually said that they're actually going to go and go pick it up themselves in the store, just making sure that they get it. So you see there's a lot of uncertainty in the market, a lot of uncertainty within those customers, within those consumers. And what brands now actually have to do, which is so crucial, is that they have to take away the uncertainty. They have to be so crystal clear in communicating what's happening today. They have to be so clear in communicating. If you place an order now, what does it mean for you? Will it arrive on time? Will it not? And then also throughout the entire process, yeah, is this going to happen as planned? Are there any problems? If there are, what does it mean? How can I help you? And also, how can I use this really as a moment to shine as a brand? If I utilize this right, if I'm really on top of my capabilities, whether operationally or also in my customer communication, how can I really make people excited with just standing out of the crowd and creating great experiences around that? So much of what you touch on there has to do with proactivity. It's not so much just a retailer saying, here, here's a tracking number, go track it yourself. It's, as you mentioned, an opportunity for the retailer to shine. And I'm curious, what are some examples or maybe best practices that you're seeing from retailers that are really kind of grabbing the bull by the horns as far as that part of the experience is concerned and being proactive with their customers? Yeah, here's an interesting figure. I would say, I would argue that issues can actually be good. One thing that we do with brands when we work with them is we build special communication or engagement flows around potential issues. So when things go wrong, let's say a shipment is going to be delayed. Yeah? If you as a brand identify this very early, you act proactively around it, and then you also create engagement that is showing those customers that you are not only on top of it, but also you care about them. And this can be something simple like saying, hey, sorry, we know we set this expectation. We're going to miss this, right? But it's just going to be one or two days longer. And by the way, since we're so sorry and we really value you as one of our most loyal customers, we're going to give you a sorry coupon for your next purchase. The retention of those customers is actually 5% higher than for those customers that have a good experience. Yeah? So you almost want to create issues that you deal with appropriately because we know that if you demonstrate that you can fix those problems and help your customers, that the loyalty, the retention is higher than if everything goes smoothly. And this is something each and every brand should be thinking about, yeah? that there also lies opportunity in the way you deal with your customers and solving problems, building relationships and making them 
very happy where they probably expect to not be happy. Now, all that being said, we've talked about proactivity, but just there you were mentioning kind of a, a way to make things better for the consumer in a circumstance that might not be on the surface all that positive. And we've talked in the past about how the process from purchase to receipt of a product can be a really emotional one for customers. As we're smack in the middle of the golden quarter here, 20 months into a pandemic, what insights do we have kind of about the attendant emotions surrounding this process for customers now in late 2021? Can I just tell you about another Domino pizza order I had, not the one yesterday, but a couple of weeks ago, where I was ordering something and it did not arrive at all. So I know this is not retail, but I think it just shows the emotional pain <laughs> I, I personally was going through when I was expecting something to come that I was waiting for very eagerly because I was hungry and that didn't happen. That same thing applies especially for products that you are either very, very excited about or that you're very, very anxious about because they might be a gift for somebody else. Yeah? So when those emotions are at play, it is so critical that when you want to make sure that you don't frustrate a customer, that you don't potentially lose that customer, that you need to be on top of managing those expectations. And also being aware of those emotions that are happening on the other side. Yeah? It's not just about you have to fulfill an order. It's around actually there's a human being on the other side waiting for something that they're, I don't know, eagerly been waiting on maybe for a longer time. And that just a simple problem in the process means real life implications. And we've seen it in the past very often that brands did not care about this. Right? They said, well, it's not our problem. It's out of our hands. It's just the peak volume that we cannot control. It's our carriers. No, it's so important that brands take ownership of this and making sure that they do not jeopardize people's emotions and expectations with not delivering on their expectations. So it's, it's a super, super important topic. And I think it will, it will just be more and more important in the next couple of months and years to come with consumer expectations within that space rising and rising. All right, so we've talked a little bit about the end of 2021. I wanted to turn the calendar ahead to the beginning of 2022. And we know already through various studies, including those from Deloitte and those from Oracle, you mentioned it earlier as well, customers are very aware of supply chain issues. This is, of course, beginning to affect their shopping habits. As far as 2022 is concerned, what can we expect as far as maybe changing customer behavior or changing customer habits, or as you mentioned, changing customer expectations? I believe that customer expectations will not change that much. I believe that those expectations that already exist and that are constantly growing and making it harder and harder to be fulfilled will just continuously be the way they are. I think where it becomes very complicated is that those retail brands have to keep up with this. I think one of the big trends that is already happening and we'll see a lot in the next year as well is that those brands will diversify their supply chains. So whether it's on the inbound of like where those products come from and how they get to the warehouses before they're being distributed, but also on the outbound piece. And we've seen this lately so much that retail brands go 
away from just working with one of the three big carriers in the US and actually start connecting with all those smaller local carriers, whether they are just in a city or whether they operate in a certain region, but having more flexibility and chances to adapt to constraints that maybe exist nowadays in the supply chain is something that most retail brands will have to go through. It means a lot more complexity in the supply chain. It's going to be harder to manage this and harder to control. But in the end, it will ensure that you are still living up to those customer expectations that are just the market standard and that you have to compete with, of course, if you want to make sure you're saving your stake or your standing that you have in the market today. So we've talked to this point about the process behind the product, making it to the consumer. And I wanted to kind of wrap up a little bit by talking about what we'll probably see a lot of in Q1 of 2022, which is the product going back from the consumer to the retailer. As far as looking ahead to Q1 of 2022, the prospect of there potentially being more returns, what are some ways in which retailers can kind of best address this reverse logistics landscape and keep that communication going with customers to turn that return maybe into something positive? Yes, that is a huge challenge. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. There's nothing worse than waiting for your money, right? If you're returning something and the product is gone, you don't have your money back, you don't hear anything, that is something where people also get very, very emotional about. So what we will see next year with now peak volumes actually being shipped out is, of course, also peak volume coming back. So there will be similar capacity constraints. There's going to be bigger challenges even because the actual transparency on the returns path is even lower because carriers operate in a different way when they're actually return products. But the challenge for those retail brands remains the same. Yeah? How do I make sure that I control and manage my customer expectation on that journey as well? How do I make sure that I don't create any frustration or friction? But how do I actually turn this into something positive? How do I turn this into a lot of certainty? And how do I actually change this in a new kind of customer journey or engagement? Because the worst thing that can happen is that I sell a lot of stuff now and a lot of that stuff is coming back and I have to refund the customers for what they bought. So brands, and many of them already are down that path, really look into how can I build a exciting returns experience, which is obviously a very digitalized way of not just making returns very convenient, but also utilizing those digital touch points that I'm creating to potentially recover or create other revenue sources for me, that returns process not just becomes a way to, again, making sure that customers are happy, but also to prolong the engagement that I have with each and every customer. So it's a, it's a huge topic out there. It will be bigger than it was before, and it will definitely create lots and lots of potential for retail brands to actually, again, shine on this and build amazing experiences if they really do it right. I think you hit on something great there. Potential might be the key as far as looking ahead to Q1 of 2022. I wanted to wrap up just with something a little bit fun because you mentioned it a few times during the interview already, but what is Tobias's go-to Domino's pizza order? That is the pepperoni. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm so stuck on that one. I always go for pepperoni pizza. 
Hey, nothing, nothing wrong with the original. <laughs> nothing wrong with the classic. Yeah, there's so much choice, I know, and it's always tempting to try something out. But I know each and every time I try out something new, and it's not as good as the pepperoni. I have this bias remorse, right? And so, yeah, I'm stuck with that pepperoni pizza. And it's also my benchmark to check out with other pizza providers to see how good they are. <laughs> I got you. It's that comparison across brands that sometimes we talk yes, about. Yes, yes, exactly. Absolutely. Well, Tobias, we appreciate you taking the time to join us once again on the podcast. Thank you so much for the insight today. Thanks so much again for having me. Always a pleasure. As always, we may have a position in or against companies we discuss on the podcast. Do not invest in stocks solely on the input of the podcast hosts. Well, we thank Tobias for joining us here on the podcast, even if I do judge him a little bit for his relatively plain pizza order. Before we get to our looking ahead story, I did want to note that the firm Madison Marquette released their first ever holiday trends report this week. Overall, a lot of the trends that we saw in that report are trends that we've already talked about with interview guests or in the news segment on the show. So I didn't want to spend the entire news segment talking about this. But one thing I did find interesting is Madison Marquette is ultimately a retail property company, and they found as 2021 wore on, traffic at the top 100 U.S. malls and at most of their own properties within Madison Marquette's portfolio were back to 2019 levels by August. And so what you're seeing now as vaccination rates rise, according to their data, more customers going to those physical locations as the year has worn on and they expect that in-person browsing to continue to increase as the holiday season continues. But the report also mentioned, and I think this is interesting, some case studies regarding how brick and mortar shopping centers were attempting to drive holiday traffic a little bit earlier. And they mentioned their Empire Outlets on Staten Island has a tree lighting ceremony every year this year, it got moved up to November 1st. So again, trying to get people in that holiday spirit, trying to get people turned out to those retailers, maybe a little bit early in anticipation of supply chain crunches, in anticipation of other things, and also just trying to spread out that customer traffic throughout the course of the holiday shopping season for the purpose of safety. So I found that to be a particularly interesting portion of the report. Again, you're looking at the top 100 shopping centers in the U.S. and then their own properties. Traffic was back to what we had seen as normal in August and is expected to increase as the year goes on. So it could be a very solid holiday shopping season for those shopping centers that are out there. Now, let's talk about our looking ahead story as Tops Markets and Price Chopper Compete a merger to form a new company, which is Northeast Grocery Incorporated. Now, in this case, we're talking about the price chopper that is based up in the northeastern United States, different from the price chopper chains you might see throughout the Midwest. So if you're from Kansas or Missouri or Nebraska, you might see price chopper locations there. This is a different chain from that. This is the larger northeastern price chopper chain, but this combination of companies, this merger of companies, produces Northeast Grocery Incorporated 
outlet that will now have over 300 stores in its portfolio. Now, as part of the FTC approval of the merger, which was entered into some time ago initially, Tops was forced to sell 12 stores. These stores will be taken over by another company we've talked about before on the podcast recently. In fact, CNS Wholesale Grocers. These 12 stores will be operated under the CNS subsidiary GU Markets LLC. So a lot of moving parts here. And to make it even more confusing a little bit, if you're just jumping into this news story, this deal was forged as part of the domino effect that was caused by Topps' bankruptcy filing in 2018, their subsequent emergence from bankruptcy in late 2018 and early 2019. They were still very highly leveraged. So this deal helping to get that balance sheet in even better position. And in fact, we posted on our Twitter feed this week kind of some backstory provided by the Buffalo News in regards to the last two to three years for Tops because it has been very eventful. Not only have you had a bankruptcy, but you've got lawsuits, you've got other claims going on behind the scenes, alleging that the former owners and holders of Tops were kind of bleeding the company dry, almost like a Toys R Us scenario, if you will, sounded very similar to what we were hearing when Toys R Us claimed bankruptcy. In any case, the reason I'm looking ahead to this story is we know the northeastern U.S. is absolutely filled with a number of grocers. Primarily, you think about local grocers up there, you think of Wegmans. Wegmans with a massive not only market share up there, but also share of mind of the consumer. You have people that are Wegmans devotees, just like you have people that are Publix devotees in the southeastern United States. So looking at this deal to kind of wonder how the new company, how Northeast Grocery Incorporated will handle potential expansion. The brands will remain separate, Price Chopper and Topps Markets. Those brands will remain separate. They'll be operated separately. Topps will keep their own headquarters, at least for now. So again, helping out the balance sheet, that's good, but you have to wonder if potential expansion is on the docket coming up, what they're going to do with the current brick and mortar stores, if you're going to close some stores because of inefficiencies there. So I think it's very much worth keeping an eye on because you've got this new chain now that's got over 300 stores, and I think it's valid to look at them as a company where you know they have more stores, more raw retail outlets than Wegmans does. But you have regional grocers that are in the midst of, of kind of a, a grow or, or move out right now. Publix, obviously, in the middle of a growth phase. Wegmans has been adding those brick-and-mortar locations as well. And then in other parts of the country, you have regional grocers that have been bought out by giants like Kroger, although we haven't seen Kroger buy out another larger grocery chain pretty much since the Harris Teeter deal went through. And you have Albertson Safeway doing the exact same thing. So I think how cards fall over the next five years for this company going to determine a lot there as far as what that grocery landscape looks like in the Northeastern United States going forward. And I think it's a valid story to continue to keep an eye on. And again, the Buffalo News can't say enough about their really excellent coverage of not only this deal, but everything related to that tops bankruptcy, the reemergence from bankruptcy, and then this deal going in front of the FTC. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Retail Focus Podcast. Once again, we'd like to thank our podcast partner, 
in Quantum Metric. Visit them, quantummetric.com slash podoffer. Use the code RETAILFOCUS to see if you're eligible. Limited time. Time is running out on their 12 Days of Insights offer. We'd also like to thank Tobias Bookshoit for joining us on this week's show. Now, coming up next week, we'll be joined by Tom McGee of ICSC. He'll join us to talk some Thanksgiving weekend numbers, so it's a perfect salient interview there. ICSC, for those that don't know, big name, especially in retail real estate. So we'll look at things a little bit from a real estate bent, but also just in terms of traffic, what we can expect for Black Friday. Is it the return of Black Friday this year? And then also how retailers are navigating closures over Thanksgiving and what this has done to the cadence of that Thanksgiving traffic. So looking forward to that episode coming up next week. For Leighton working behind the scenes, I'm Trent saying so long until approximately seven days from now. This has been the Retail Focus Podcast. For more, visit our website at retailfocuspodcast.com and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at Retail Podcast.